Thanks for finding Organic Matters. Uh, For the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about science. For those of you that have listened to me, you know that, that I believe everything that we do that we need to really learn about comes from study. In most cases, it's scientific study. But on this particular article, I'm actually going to talk about some scientific failures. And what's interesting is when things fail, then then the whole system goes awry. Uh, Dr. Fauci is one that's just leaving us, incidentally. I think he was a great guy. Most people do. But a few people didn't think he was because he made some big mistakes. He was in the business almost 50 years, folks. Uh, Part of uh, science's greatest achievements are from failures, not because everything you do, and, and a scientist that that knows what he's doing moves on. He learns from that failure, and that's how he ends up with the right answer many times. So let's talk about failures in science and kind of guide him to why I believe that whether it's the politicians or the scientists or your teacher at school, just blatting things out, you don't have any, any scientific uh, material or scientific facts behind is just not Right, and it's become big. The word fake news is everywhere now. Uh, and it's a good a good deal of it is not backed by any real, quote-unquote, scientific fact. You know, when most people think of science, they recall news articles detailing logical and coherent stories that reach a satisfying conclusion. Oh, boy. Each neatly packaged piece of research is then further condensed into, in many cases, an eye-catching title uh, that showcases the main finding of that particular fact. Nevertheless, this presentation of science does not recognize that many years, sometimes many, many years, of research are preceding the report, not to mention the countless failed experiments. Simply put, failure is fundamental to the scientific process. Another way maybe to put it is that failure is actually the backbone upon which all great science is built. With the recent events, for instance, of the pandemic, many are witnessing the scientific process unfold before them in real time, in most cases for the first time. The countless U-turns in the reality of the time it takes to produce anything tangible can be disheartening. But this isn't an isolated example, folks. It's just science in progress. For instance, just for an example, astronomer and assistant professor Erica Hamden from University of Arizona recently spoke about the numerous setbacks her team faced over a 10-year period working on a single project. During the talk, Hamden summarized the pursuit of science in a single sentence. The reality of my job is that I fail almost all the time, but I still keep going. The sentiment is echoed also in a book I found called The CV of Failures. That's, a, that's the constant velocity of failures. Written by Johan Hauschofer, an assistant professor of psychology at Princeton. In it, he states, most of what I try fails, but these failures are often invisible, while the successes are visible. Open discussions about failure are vital for normalizing the reality of what science really is. 
Let's reach out a little further. Resilience and perseverance in the face of challenges can result in an astounding discovery. For example, the first image of a black hole, which was released just last year, folks, was only made possible through the dedication of over 200 scientists over the course of over two years. In the pharmaceutical industry, where discovery can remain elusive for even longer, it takes a drug 12 years on average to make it to the market. Moreover, over 90% of drug candidates fail during the development process. They never get here. But despite this, failed drugs are still important as they can form the basis of a new medication or be repurposed with great success in some cases. Thalidomide was originally developed as a morning sickness medication but was pulled from the market. Due to its causing developmental defects, I had a good friend that was born as a thalidomide baby and unborn children. Now, however, the same drug, thalidomide, is used to treat certain cancers and is shown to increase overall survival rates tremendously. In addition, failures and mistakes may lead to their own discovery. A classic example of this is the discovery of the first antibiotic. You'll know what that is. Penicillin, which revolutionized the treatment of bacterial infections from that point on in history. But I have noticed, especially with people that have not used to deal with science, despite the prevalence and importance of failure as part of the scientific process, failure is still sort of like a taboo topic. You just don't talk about it. This may be due to our perception that science is exact and meant to provide answers. It is. However, we tend to overlook the inherent value of failure as we assure ourselves that we have simply done something wrong. Moreover, there's little incentive to openly discuss failures due to the competitive environment in research and the publication bias towards only positive results. And maybe another way to look at it, for example, a study that reports a novel protein interaction that will be more likely to be published over a drug that did not produce any effects when screened. However, it is important that these negative results are also reported as it prevents similar studies being conducted and can inform future drug structures. Ignoring failure can actually have a number of consequences. Scientists may leave research due to the feelings of inadequacy. They really give up. Multiple groups may run the same doomed experiment in tandem, and researchers are unable to make informed hypotheses due to the glaring gaps in the available information they have. The combination of these factors hinders innovation and progression, thus limiting the ability to push the boundaries of what we call scientific knowledge. Folks, failure is an inevitable and necessary part of advancing science, and this reality needs to really be, I'm going to say, better embraced. I've run into it a lot. I'm not a scientist, but I've loved science, and I have been involved in science all my life. And boy, the number of people go, well, that failed, and this failed. That's, that's not the way to look at it. More work and discussions really needed. Only by knowing both the successes and the failures can we be at the frontier of science. This is really just a summarization. Uh, without failure, we lack a complete picture of science. That's the only way I know to put it. So think about that. Yes, when you hear of a failure, you know what that tells you? You're one step closer to a success. 
And speaking of success, let me tell you a success I've sort of had. It took me 20 years. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's 25 years. But things are changing. I started this show or this show on a number of different stations and formats. And I've been on TV a couple times for shows I did through the years. And I always talked about, of course, planting. Organic Matters started out as a gardening show, but I've always talked about the climate and I've always been convinced the climate's changing. And I've always been convinced that we're part of the problem. That's the hard, was the hard part to convince people. But all at once, more or less over this summer, a lot of people talked to me about climate change instead of me talking to them, sort of the other way around. They talked about, I remember one of them came up, the Great Salt Lake dry up. They actually finally realized instant about the uh, Supreme Court justice deflating uh, the EPA's regulatory powers about whether climate migration will ruin the real estate investments about some 70-year-old friend who now finally believes, guess what, climate's changing and it is anthropogenic. It has a lot to do with us, not just a little bit. There's, there's deniers out there, but hey, uh, in the current world, everybody seems to be denying something in their life. Folks, you can't deny it any longer. Fortunately, finally, we at least have some laws in place that if we will really follow what they say, we can at least do our bit about it. Can we change the whole earth ourselves? Probably not, but every little bit counts. But that being said, it still means one thing to me. The climate crisis is now a public feeling. Finally, a good percentage of Americans who have been, I want to say, sheltered from the earliest and worst climate impacts, we just didn't see it, so we didn't believe in it, have formed what I would say is somewhat of an intimate relationship with the climate and what's going on around them and on the whole earth. This is a different feeling than I've been, I want to say, fighting, putting up with for, though 20-some years I've had this program, I've always had the naysayers as, oh, that's not true, and the Inhofs that, you know, brought a snowball in because it happened to have a freak snow in D.C. a year or so ago, said, see, there's no climate change. I mean, it was just childish. But again, this summer, of course, we've had a dramatic summer where I'm living in Texas, and actually across the whole earth, but especially in the United States, it's been exceptional. It is finally making, pardon the pun, a lot of people see the light or feel the weather or whatever. Be aware of the climate. They have a new, I want to use the word I maybe I already did, a kind of an intimate relationship with the world around them now that they, they just ignored before. That's very important, folks. Now what we've got to do is get them and this is where it gets a little political, to take it to the politicians, to vote for the politicians that do realize, hey, we have a problem here, folks, and we have to solve it. We created it. We can fix it. Now, probably not in my lifetime. As a matter of fact, it's, some of it is probably irreversible now. We're going to have to live with it, or our, our, our relatives, our kids and their kids after us for many, many years. Basically, can we start here and, and fix it and go backwards? Probably not, but we can, all, we can stop it. 
And that's the best thing I know how to do. And the only way we can do it is not. You and I can put in our LED bulbs. I tell everybody that. You and I can conserve water. We can quit throwing plastic in the ocean. We can all help in that way. But the real, real thing we're going to have to do is get a grip on it as, as a public being. As all of us eventually worldwide takes the time to get the people in office that do consider what's going down the road 10, 20, 30 years from now, not the next four-year voting period. And that's about all of them care about. Let me just kind of cut it short there. Okay, folks, I'm going to stop from here. But you've got the point. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. <laughs>